speaking of weekends to forget, what I really wanted to ask you about was what is that unforced error, yet another one, what does this mean for his state of mind and his the rest of his season and something we've talked about for, for several podcasts now, his future either with Ferrari or in the sport as a whole? The message seems to be that it will be a miracle if he is still at Ferrari. A lot of people think that he'll do a Rosberg and retire. And you know what? He's a full-time world champion. He married his girlfriend. He has two lovely children. Why not? I wouldn't blame him for two minutes. Welcome to the Forza F1 podcast. I'm Aaron Jenkins, the editor of Forza Magazine, and with me, as always, once again on the line from Monaco, is Andrew Frankel, Forza's Formula One editor. The Defosi had high hopes for Ferrari in its home race. The Italian Grand Prix at Monza and the team certainly didn't let them down. Fastest in all three practice sessions, taking pole position and winning the race sounds like a Ferrari fan's dream come true. But the story of the weekend as a whole isn't nearly so tidy. Before we get to Formula One, let's look at a nearly disastrous accident in Saturday's Formula Three race, when driver Alexander Peroni hit a temporary sausage curb positioned at the outside of Parabolica, the final turn before the front straight. While the organizers positioned the sausage curb to keep drivers from running wide and gaining an advantage on that straight, they clearly never thought that somebody would hit it end-on. And when Peroni did, it launched his car into the air, where it spun around several times and landed in the catch fence, uh, leaving the driver with a fractured, a fractured vertebra, although he's expected to fully recover. The curb was removed for the later races in the weekend, but this is the second race weekend in a row where we've had potentially fatal and indeed fatal at Spa accidents. And this is not what uh, the FIA is trying to do with driver safety, Andrew. Well, this is perfectly true. But of course, the situation is that the other day, a golfer killed his own daughter because um, he was practicing and it ricocheted and it killed the little girl. So um, whatever the sport is, whether it's American football or on occasionally sort of European soccer um, or fencing, or you, you name it. Unfortunately, accidents do happen and people occasionally do get killed. Um, having said that, it has an awful lot to do with luck. I mean, to get T-boned, as, as, as the poor French guy was last weekend, and then get killed. And by the way, the guy who hit him is in intensive care in London, there is a particular hospital in Britain that specializes in motor racing accidents. Um, as far as this chap is concerned, um, he, at the Parabolica, which unfortunately brings back rather sad memories of Jochen Rind, for instance, who, who, who died there, um, he was lucky. He was lucky, and, and I'm afraid there is such thing as, as, as lucky motor racing. Poor Uber didn't have it. This guy did have it. Um, and I suppose that's all I can say on that subject. And I'm delighted that he survived. Uh, as long as people are racing and as long as they touch wheels, or even if they just touch a curb the wrong way, cars will fly. That's just aerodynamics. And he was very, very lucky that he walked away. And I'm sure he'll want to get back into a race car just as soon as possible. And I think after the, the spa accident, there was some discussion about installing 
gravel traps instead of uh, paved runoff areas, which is the same thing uh, that is set up at the outside of the Parabolica. But there's no perfect solution. If there had been a gravel trap there, he may well have flipped as well. It's, it's, it's an ongoing process trying to make the tracks incrementally safer all the time without introducing new hazards. Yes, this is, this is perfectly true. Uh, by um, not a, um, gravel slows cars down considerably more quickly than, um, than asphalt on which you just carry on at huge speed until you had the, the you hit the barriers. Um, but whatever you put there, at the end of the day, there is still an element of luck. If you remember Fernando Alonso a couple of years ago when it was literally a matter of come fly with me and at the in Adelaide, and he really did do a triple circle with a toe loop, for those of you who are interested in uh, skating. And... And then the following day, he, he was seen reading the newspaper saying, the man who cheated death type of thing. So he was lucky. And this poor chap, well, certainly Hubert last weekend was very, very, very unlucky indeed. And this chap yesterday, uh, on Sunday afternoon, was lucky. He got away with a, a, a couple of broken bones. And that's very, very fortunate. So turning our attention back to Formula One, Ferrari was fastest in practice and Leclerc took pole position with Vettel in fourth. They were split by the Mercedes drivers, but that's not necessarily a true representation of the pace because in the third qualifying session, everybody made their first run as usual. But then when they all left the pits at the same time to make the final one, the final run in Q3, which is normally what decides the final grid position, every driver except, I think, McLaren's Carlos Sainz, due to them jockeying around for position in order to get a toe from their teammate down the long straights, they all failed to make it around to the start-finish line in time and didn't record a second lap. Uh, you and I, Andrew, have talked about um, this for years, that it's a bit of a farce that everybody goes out at the very last minute in qualifying and bunches up, but we've never seen anything where basically the entire grid failed to cross the line in time. I, I, I Personally, I find this hugely embarrassing, and it's grossly unfair on the spectators. Uh, it's just like when, for instance, there's it's raining in practice, wherever, and the cars don't go out, and you've got a grandstand full of people who've spent an awful lot of money to be there, and that nobody goes up in case they spin. You know, I mean, it's so pathetic. And this, this performance, this was truly laughable. I'm not quite sure what the FIA can do about it. Luckily, it won't happen again. I don't. Well, it could happen, I suppose, in Baku next year, because that has a very, very long straight indeed. Um, Team orders, again, I don't know how do you ban sleep streaming. Let me just remind you that Jackie Stewart led Francois Sever at the Dutch Grand Prix something like 40 years ago so that he would get a better position on the grid. So it's as old as motor racing. How do you, how do you, how do you go about banning it? Well, do you, do you need to ban it? It was the team's decision, and the teams suffered the consequences for their actions. I certainly agree that it wasn't fair to the spectators, but that's sport. Yeah, I mean, actually, you're absolutely right. You know, they, they, 
essentially penalize themselves, although the funny thing is that still the grid lined up more or less as we expected it to line up. We expected Leclerc up front, we expected the two Mercedes cars be there, and we expected Fettel to be around somewhere. Um, it, and it's just sheer bad luck that Verstappen, I think, got himself a new engine. And even though he drove heroically, he did start from the back of the grid, so he was not in the mix at the top. Well, that was that was intentional by Red Bull, I think. They took the penalty at the race they expected to be least competitive in. Um, and yes. sure enough, they, they pretty much were, although both, we'll get back to that later, but mo- both Red Bull drivers did score points in the end, which is a, a good result for starting from the very back of the field. Indeed. So the start of the race, the red lights go out. Both Ferraris get relatively poor starts, but manage to hold their positions, at least until Renault's Nico Hulkenberg, who had started a surprise fifth, got past Vettel after the first corner. Vettel snatched that position back at the end of the lap, thanks to the Ferrari's much higher top speed, and the race proceeded with uh, Leclerc, then Hamilton, then Botas, then Vettel, sort of exactly as we expected until lap seven, when Vettel's day completely fell apart. He spun a solo spin into the chicane and then sort of beached himself on the grass and pulled back onto the track very slowly, where, unfortunately, he hit um, Racing Point's Lance Stroll, who had qualified a mighty ninth in that car, and sending Stroll uh, into the gravel trap, where a few seconds later he he performed his own unsafe release and nearly took out Pierre Gasly of Red Bull. But Vettel received the harshest penalty that he could have under the rules, which was a 10-second stop-and-go, essentially a 30-second penalty, dropped him to the back of the field, and that was his day. In Vettel's defense, the driver couldn't see the cars that were coming. He couldn't turn his head because of the Hans device, and he couldn't see over the high protective cockpit sides. On the other hand, the team has GPS on all the other cars, and they have access to the TV cameras, so he could have sat there and waited for the team to tell him when he had a gap to go which I suppose would have been the safe thing to do. It would have dropped him back to the back of the field, which is where he ended up anyway, but at least he wouldn't have gotten the penalty. I'm going to presume that we agree on this penalty, Andrew, but tell me if we don't. Totally, 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 totally. It's a team fault because someone should have said, don't move, don't move, don't move. We'll release you when it's safe. And that message clearly was not spoken, it was not uh, relayed to him. Um, had somebody reacted sufficiently quickly, they could have saved solely the 10 seconds. And, and you know, it's also unpleasant for Stroll. All in all, as he said afterwards, this is a weekend to forget. Well, and uh, speaking of weekends to forget, what I really wanted to ask you about was what is that unforced error, yet another one, Actually, yet another spin at Imel, uh, sorry, at Monza, for that matter. What does this mean for his state of mind and his the rest of his season and something we've talked about for, for several podcasts now, his future either with Ferrari or in the sport as a whole? Well, I, the, the, the messages I'm getting from all my colleagues all over the world and various newspapers and radios and so on and so forth, the message seems to be that it will be a miracle if he is still at Ferrari, 
a lot of people think that he'll do a Rosberg and retire. And you know what? He's a full-time world champion. He married his girlfriend. He has two lovely children. Why not? I wouldn't blame him for two minutes. You know, he, he could say, thank you very much. Goodbye. And I think the whole world would say, well, well done, old chap. Enjoy, your, enjoy Switzerland. Enjoy your lovely wife, kids, and live happily ever after. Just don't become another TV pundit because I'm afraid, and this is something I intend to write about in my next column in Forza, the world is now full of former uh, world champions who may have been quite good at driving, but are driving us insane with their stupid, fatuous remarks, Mr. Villeneuve being one and Mr. Rosberg being another. And Damon Hill, another former champion, is close behind. I mean, for goodness sake, why don't you stick to what you're good at, you know, and stop meddling in, 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 in the world of commentators where you clearly don't belong? Well, let's... let's... Going back to something you just said, um, there's a big belief that he won't be at Ferrari next season, and there's another big belief that he won't be in F1 next season. Does that mean his seat at Ferrari is under threat by Ferrari itself, or just that he might depart the team? Well, the the question, of course, is, um, and apparently Fernando Alonso turned up at Ferrari over the weekend and said, hello. I'm ready, and according to my information, Ferrari said, no, thank you, because Alonso might be a great driver. He's also a troublemaker, and he hasn't really done anything since uh, having become a champion over 10 years ago. The word is that both Red Bull and Ferrari told Alonso very nicely to go away, which, and in which case, if, if Vettel does leave, I mean, obviously, the whole world will be queuing up uh, at the door of, uh, of, you know, Mr. Binotto. But I really, really don't know what could happen. It could be something as crazy as Hulkenberg. I mean, you just don't know. I'll go on record and say Hulkenberg will not be a Ferrari driver next season, no matter what happens. Uh, I tend to agree with you, but all I'm saying is that we didn't expect uh, Ricciardo or Ricardo to go to Renault either. And then they dangled $20 million in front of him. And hey, presto, he was off before you could say, you know, Bob's your uncle. Yeah, and I think that Ricardo is way more likely because is he on a multi-year contract with Renault? I don't quite remember. Uh, but either way, I'm sure if Ferrari came calling, that would be it for Ricardo at Renault. I think you're absolutely 200% right. He even sounds Italian and obviously speaks Italian. Um, so, yes, I, I think it would be a tremendous choice. And, um, and of course, he, he also lives here in Monaco, you know, just around the corner from, from uh, Leclerc, whom people are now calling all sorts of names, incidentally. One of them is uh, King Charles I. Others are calling him Charlot. Uh, I mean, it, it's just the mania surrounding this young man around here is indescribable. Indescribable. You know, the restaurants put out flags to honor him. And I know because I just walked past a couple of them and I said, well, well, why the flags? Ah, it's for Leclerc, the victory, and all this sort of stuff. It's incredible. I mean, this is a very, very special place. 
And of course, the crazy thing is that they've now heard their national anthem, which no one's ever heard before. They've had it two weekends running. What are the flags that yeah. they're putting up? The, 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 the flags of, of Monaco, you know, red and white. And of course, the crazy thing is, and a lot of my commentator colleagues said the same thing, and maybe I'm digressing, but how wonderful it is, and I may have said this a week ago, how wonderful it is to hear two happy national anthems. The Italian is cheerful, the Monagasque is cheerful, and it's such a wonderful, wonderful change from, you know, the British and the German, Uyghur after Uyghur, Uyghur, you know. I mean, it was, it's, just, it's just fabulous, it's uplifting, and it's, and it's very, very good for Formula One. Let's take a quick break to talk about Forza Magazine. Here on the podcast, Andrew and I talk about Formula One, as you'd expect. But every issue of Forza reports on the wider world of Ferrari. Think road tests of new and classic cars, histories and profiles, interviews and news, racing, and so much more. So check it out. Learn more at our website, forza-mag.com. That's F-O-R-Z-A-M-A-G.com. So Leclerc is being feted in his hometown, and I don't think, and I don't think there's any question at all that he'll be at Ferrari for next season and maybe for many, many more years to come. His race, in complete contrast to Vettel, was aside from one little trip through the runoff area at the end of turn one, late in the race, practically flawless. He held off lap after lap after lap of pressure from the sport's second most successful driver in this era's best car, with. Very little concern. He he looked unflappable, except for one thing that we'll disagree on, maybe, in a minute. But it's back-to-back wins for Leclerc, his first two wins in Formula One. He's now ahead of Vettel in the points. What else is there to say about him? He is He's essentially a miracle worker this season. He is a total miracle worker, and right now he could name his price. Literally, you know, I mean, any and every team would drop everything they have. With the possible exception of Lewis Hamilton, he is the, and as far as this place is concerned, he is the hottest property. Um, He's a dream. I mean, after, first of all, he's not even 22. Second, he's intelligent. Third, he's good looking. Fourth, he's charming. He smiles, he signs autographs. He's not too busy for selfies. Um, as you probably saw on television, when Martin Brundle started talking in English, he said, excuse me, I want to say a few words in perfect Italian. Yes, that was but, a remarkable moment. So he's at least fluent in three languages. I, I thought it was so wonderful. And you see, when you're as good as he is and, and having conquered Monza, the guy can do what he likes. And, and also don't forget, and let's not forget the massive Ferrari celebration in the middle of Milan the day before. I, I believe on the Wednesday, Milan was brought to a total standstill uh, outside the, the world-famous dome, you know, the Duomo, and they had, I think, the biggest birthday party Ferrari's ever had. Right, celebrating the, celebrating the 90th anniversary of Scuderia Ferrari, correct? Yeah. And on top of it, and, and I don't know who is planning this because both you and I have a lot of friends at Ferrari, but whoever said, well, wait a minute, let's have Jordi Schechter. Let's, let's get him back into the 1979 World Championship winning car. And Jordi, God bless him, who is now a farmer in England, 
providing beef for the Royal Automobile Club, and I'm not making this up because I know him and I know the club. Um, and there was Geordie on the grid in the old car, and, and uh, uh, Brendan Werner, you know, the lady who used to work for Mr. Ferrari, she was there as well. So literally there wasn't a dry eye in the house. Yeah, I think Schechter still owns that car, but that was a real highlight of the moment. That's the car that he won the 79 championship in. I mean, the, the, the whole—you could not have written a better script. You have the celebrations beforehand in Milan, hoping that they will all go well. You then have Jody turn up, and obviously everybody is very, very emotional. Then you have this young guy, fresh from his victory the week before. He then qualifies first, and the sort of pressure he was under—you know. Straight through, and it wasn't, oh, well, Hamilton caught him. No, Hamilton chased him to the very best of his ability. And you could say that maybe Leclerc was a little bit naughty once or twice. He was no worse than Hamilton would have been uh, had it been the other way around. And incidentally, had the FIA penalized, um, and I really mean this, if the FIA had penalized uh, Leclerc, and let's say gave him five or ten or however many seconds, I think the locals would have demolished the circuit. You know, so that's you a... would have been stuff flying onto the track. You would have had a total disaster on your hands. And it did occur to me at the time when he got a, a, a black and white flag to say that he was under notice. And full credit to the stewards for using their brains and not throwing some ridiculous penalty at at a Ferrari leading at Monza in front of 200,000 people. Can you imagine the consequences? So this is the perfect segue into discussing the discussing the consistency of penalties applied in Formula One. So, Andrew, you are a proponent of the, uh, allow me to say, ill-defined but very passionate philosophy of let them race. Don't get in the way of what they're doing. And I have always been a proponent of if there's a rule, follow the rule, because otherwise it's all arbitrary. So Monza last year, Max Verstappen, Valtteri Botas, down the front straight into turn one, they touch Max Left Max, who was on the inside, left Valtteri one car width minus one inch. They touched. The Mercedes goes bouncing out. Max goes on his way and gets a five-second penalty. In this situation, nearly identical, different part of the track, of course. Lewis is coming up the outside of um, Leclerc. Leclerc drifts, o- holds the middle, then drifts over to take the racing line, leaves Lewis maybe a car width minus four inches. Lewis puts his outside right wheel off, bounces over the curb, misses the chicane, da-da-da-da-da. And the FIA pull out this black and white flag, which, as I understand it, is roughly the equivalent of a yellow card in soccer. It's a warning that, essentially, if you do it again, you're in trouble. So, same race, different drivers, a year apart. Why would these two incidents not be treated the same and secondly, how significant is it that you had 
a Ferrari driver in Italy being the one who would be penalized. Do you think that was really on the stewards' minds? And if so, what does that mean about the legitimacy or believability of the sport? No, in all seriousness, and I'm totally biased because, as you know, I love close racing. I love uh, drivers touching wheels. I I think Lewis, actually, Lewis didn't complain very much because I think he said to himself, he's been saying all season, bring them on, bring them on. I need some competition. It's getting very boring, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, the competition arrives. And in a way, Lewis is loving it. And of course, being Lewis, uh, he may not have won and he would not have been very popular had he won the race for sure, but there would, people would have applauded a little bit. But um, he's still, just like last year, finishing second, finishing third, accumulating the points, making sure he's going to become world champion. So I think, well, well done, Lewis, on, 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 on finishing. You know, it so happens he finished third because Bottas came on the scene. But I think it was the perfect weekend. And of course I'm biased. I mean, you and I write for a Ferrari magazine, the biggest Ferrari magazine in, in the United States. Of course I'm biased. You and I have been waiting. I've been waiting for this since Michael Schumacher. And you know how frustrating it's been for me to write my Frankly Frankel column apologizing for this guy, that guy, this mistake, that mistake. And finally, I can only say I'm deliriously happy. I I certainly get that, and I haven't had a lot of fun in a magazine sense over the last decade reporting about, you know, Ferrari gets up to second, falls back. But personal biases aside, if the rule says you can't run another driver off the track, how would you, a proponent of let them race, write a rule such that you don't go too far in running someone else off the track, which is unquestionably what Leclerc did? With respect, had he really run Lewis off the track big time, Lewis would have ended up uh, in the boondocks, um, you know, really like spinning off and hitting things and also so. So it, I, I would say it's marginal. And even Toto Wolf, who is a fanatical Mercedes person, and he, of course, is in charge of the Mercedes team, he said it was a little bit naughty, but he was not in a rage because he realized that his drivers would have done exactly the same thing. And also, I think he's delighted that finally Ferrari are back and nobody can accuse them of cheating or Mercedes have special ties from Ferrari, from Pirelli, and it's not fair, and blah, blah, blah. They They lost two races on the trot. So it looks as though the playing field is leveling out, although having said that, I think in the next few races, Leclerc might have a bit of a problem repeating these two phenomenal successes. Yeah, I sort of suspect we've seen the last of Ferrari at the front for a while, but who knows? Um, We've called out Ferrari numerous times this year for poor strategy calls, but in Monza, they made the perfect call for Leclerc by putting him on hard tires at a time when everybody else was going on to mediums. And I presume this was a choice because they looked at the race pace in practice and they were well off. They were behind Mercedes on mediums. So they had to do something different. And they did. And this time, at least, it worked out and worked out wonderfully. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's one of those 
when you gamble, it's like playing, playing poker, and uh, they were hoping that they might get a flush, and my goodness, they did get a flush, and they gambled, and this time they won, and, and all credit to them and this little guy. Um, and people say, oh, it's too, he's too soon, and should have kept Raikkonen, and blah, 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 blah. Do you remember all the people who were sort of knocking the decision? And my goodness, he really, really is coming. And you look at the English press, even the British press admit grudgingly that the guy's fabulous, and he's fabulous. I should mention something, um, nothing to do with the clerk, nothing to do with Ferrari. The fact that, for instance, and I don't just mean Renault, but several teams with lousy chassis and quite good engines were scoring points or nearly scoring points because this essentially is, is, is a speed circuit. Uh, I mean, you know, for instance, you've got teams with, with um, the Renault engines were working well and the Renault engines have been working well and the chassis have been rubbish. But on this track, it didn't matter. So surprise, surprise, they came in fourth and fifth. Kupica was doing well in in the much maligned Williams because again he has the Mercedes engine. Lance Stroll qualified Lance Stroll qualified ninth because Indeed. his car has a Mercedes engine. Yeah, so this is what I'm trying to say that in this instance, you know, the, 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 the tricks of, of you know the, the Spa and Monaco and Hungaring, all those things did not come into the equation. Because it, to some extent, it was a matter of a large right foot. And all these gentlemen possess very large right feet. You mentioned a few minutes ago that neither Hamilton nor Toto Wolff seemed too dismayed by um, uh, Leclerc's suspect move, nor by finishing second and third, really. I agree with you completely that I think Mercedes was just happy to be in the battle. They didn't expect to win. So for them, 2-3 was as good as it was going to get. Absolutely, absolutely. They did, they did very well. They picked up tons of points in the Constructors' Championship, which incidentally nobody, nobody but nobody cares about except the manufacturers, which is of zero importance as far as Joe Public is concerned. Um, they did very well indeed. The, the astonishing thing about Lewis, if I might digress, being here for Monaco for various reasons, um, he is on the front cover of a local magazine printed in Russian, and he's on the front cover uh, featuring a photo shoot, multi-page photo shoot wearing his, you know, whatever he's designing. I think he's working with one of the big fashion houses. And I find it staggering that instead of concentrating on racing 24-7, he can do this and still drive as fast as, and, and he's still as fast and, and as dedicated as he's always been, having just done a photo shoot. You know, I mean, it's, it, it's like chalk and cheese, it's two, two totally different worlds. And speaking of two different worlds, um, your favorite driver besides Grosjean, Valtteri Bottas, put in another solid but ultimately unsuccessful drive, finishing second. Um, behind Leclerc, due in part to smart strategy. He stayed out longer uh, on his first stint, so had more tire life at the end. And he put Leclerc under the same kind of pressure that Hamilton did, had, I guess, one reasonable chance to pass him. But, you know, 
what else could Valtteri have done? He was the fastest car on track for the final quarter of the race. He didn't pull off the pass, but otherwise, it was a it was a great weekend for him. Uh, I would, res- you know, how much I love the guy. I would respectfully suggest that half the grid would have been just as quick in that brilliant Mercedes. Um, I, I find him however fast he is. I find him uninspiring. He doesn't have that final oomph that 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 Lewis has. And I personally think Ocon will have next year in the Renault when he replaces Hulkenberg. I mean, Ocon is one of the great, great coming stars, if you like, and he is one of the guys who is going to take on Leclerc head-on. And these are the sort of guys Formula One needs. Well, you say Valtteri lacks the the ultimate oomph, the desire to, to go for the pass. That was why Pierre Gasly got demoted from Red Bull, and this weekend his replacement, Alex Albon, showed that he does have that oomph albeit by trying to go outside, go on the outside of the first Lesmos corner around McLaren's Carlos Sainz, which was a move that was never going to come off because Sainz was on the racing line and, you know, 80% ahead. But it does show that he's in there fighting for it in a way that'll make Red Bull very happy. Well, you see, Helmut Marko, he's razor sharp. He's one of those Austrians, very much like Nikolada was, very much like Gerhard Berger. He really, really knows motor racing. He's completely ruthless. He has a very, very good nose. Absolutely zero sentiments. And and what you've just mentioned um, proved him 200% right. He moves these four, dri- four drivers. You know, he has four seats to play with. And he moves them around like like, like, like chess. So next up in two weeks is the night race at the tight and twisty Singapore circuit. Red Bull is a traditional favorite here because of the low speed handling of their cars. And clearly Verstappen is the, the, the driver to pick between he and Albon. Um, That said, Mercedes is a threat in any race, especially Lewis. Leclerc is on a roll right now. If Vettel is not, what do you think is going to happen in Singapore? I, I would like to think that um, because he's in a role, on, he's on a tremendous role, and his self-confidence is sky high, I think Leclerc will still be in the mix. I think he'll finish in the first three. I think it's going to be fast and furious. Um, I, I would suggest it's going to be Lewis, um, followed by Verstappen, followed by Leclerc. That's how I see it. Mr. Editor Jenkins, sir, how do you see it? I think that's definitely a possibility, um, if Mer- especially if Mercedes has dealt with the overheating issues or the not enough cooling issues that slowed them up in uh, Austria. But I, th- I think my money has to be on Verstappen to win. And... Yeah, I would I would agree that either Hamilton or Leclerc will be right behind him. Um, but we'll see. Maybe we'll see a surprise with uh, accidents between the tight walls, safety cars. Who knows? This course where Fernando Alonso won after a manufactured crash so many years ago. Hopefully, we won't see anything 2000, like two thousand eight. Hopefully, we won't see anything like Singapore Gate again. Yeah, but yes. but yeah, I think I think we agree for sure. Verstappen is most likely to win, and hopefully there'll be a Ferrari on the podium. 
Yes, I mean, this has been an unbelievable sort of eight days after all the gloom and doom and you and I scratching our heads as to what good can we say about Scuderia Ferrari. All of a sudden, I mean, I, for one, am walking around with a huge smile on my face, as is everyone else in Monaco, I hasten to add. And um, Formula One badly needed this. And for the sake of, let me put it this way, for the sake of the magazine and the sake of all the Ferraristi in the world, long may it continue. That's it for this episode of the Forza F1 podcast. Join us in two weeks after the Singapore Grand Prix. Thanks for listening this week. We'd love to hear from you, so get in touch if you have any questions or comments via our website, forza-mag.com. That's F-O-R-Z-A hyphen M-A-G.com. You can follow us on social media at Forza Mag, F-O-R-Z-A-M-A-G, no hyphen.